This is where they are building the largest nuclear fusion reactor in the world. Yeah, a friend of mine told me I had to check out this pool. America on Main Street and at the dinner table is talking about infrastructure when 20 years ago they didn't even know what that meant. Today, those towers are an astounding display of wealth, prestige, and engineering first. It's impacting everyday Americans. I am against the train the way it's being done right now. New York City housing is a scam. It is a scam, 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 scam. The Shard in central London is being officially opened today and at 310 metres tall, it's Europe's newest and tallest skyscraper. Hello, I'm Fred Mills. And this is the world's best construction podcast by the B1M. Bonjour, welcome to the highlight of your week. That's right, the world's best construction podcast is back. I'm Fred Mills, I'm the founder, face and voice of the B1M. And as always guys, I'm joined by two pretty awesome people. Uh, All the way from Sydney, Australia, we've got the B1M's Head of Content Partnership, Liam Marsh. And just across the other side of London from me in Basildon in Essex, we've got uh, Luke Bly, uh, one of our content producers in charge of podcasting. Hello to everyone in Basildon. I've just offended with my terrible uh, Cockney accent, but we'll, we'll, <laughs> let's move on from that as quick as we can. Uh, Liam, mate, good day. How's your how's your week been? Good day, mate. Good day. My week's all right, mate. A little bit um a little bit stressful. Currently in the process of uh, trying to buy a house, so we um just going through that process. And I and I tell you, everyone tells you how stressful it is trying to buy a house, and you sort of just brush it off. I've, I've brushed it off for years, and uh, I'm finally. F- Finding out that's very true. We um, we're looking to try and buy one on Saturday. We've got an auction coming up, right? So if all goes to plan, I'll buy a house on Saturday, and then I fly out to San Diego on Sunday, and then I'm in London for six weeks, and I come back to Australia, and hopefully I'll move into a house. Sorry, what have you got coming up on Saturday? An auction. An auction. It, an auction. <laughs> an auction, mate. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> what, are you, what are you, how do you call it? An auction. An auction. It's so an auction. Posh, mate. It's so posh. I'm not, it, I'm just no, mate. It, it's not to do with posh or not. It's auction, not auction. <laughs> it's an auction, mate. <laughs> anyway, it's very, very considerate of you, Liam, to uh, let your let your other half move house for you while you come know, around the world. I have timed it perfectly. <laughs> if if I win at auction. <laughs> Oh right, okay, yeah. Um, I didn't have quite the uh, same weekend. I went to Legoland, so slightly different. But I am maybe. actually trying to buy a house as well. But maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm just not trying to take it as serious or something. I don't know. But Legoland was great. But what, again, what, maybe not as. What stage are you buying, buying the house, Luke? Um, offer's been accepted. Oh wow! Congrats, man. <laughs> Maybe that's just us. Maybe we're just like... Maybe it's the UK. I know over here, everything basically sells at auction, right? You have to go to the auction, basically. Not a lot of people take um, offers before because they typically like to, to see how it goes on the day with competitive bidders and things like that, right? 
Nah, you lot are crazy. You lot are mental. <laughs> anyway, anyway, anyway. Fred, how are you, mate? You okay? Have you bought a house there recently? You know, I've I've actually been in my house for six years now, and, and having had such a tumultuous experience with it, I that's part of the reason why I'm just not in the mood to move for any time yet. But uh, yeah, no, it's been good. It's been a really big week. Uh, I've had a really big week in both my personal life and at the B1M. So. Uh, in the Mills family, we had a very big wedding at the weekend. My little sister got married, which was awesome. Uh, it was 35 degrees in the UK, which is 95 Fahrenheit. Uh, full suits, no air conditioning, uh, dresses, full wedding. It was the works. It was a fantastic day, but uh, but very, very warm. Um, yeah, so that was really lovely to get the whole family together and celebrate like that. Um, I was I was doing the warm-up acts for the speeches, uh, so which was good. So they had a... They had an international mm-hmm. YouTube star at their wedding. Um, if anyone else wants that, if, I mean, I'm available for funerals, but I'm um, <laughs> you know, just, just let me know. Cameo. Uh, cameo, mate. Oh, cameo. You're not going to get me on cameo. Um, but also at B1M, it's been a huge, huge week. So as we said last week on the podcast, we finally had uh, the HS2 documentary come out, which went down. Well, to say it's gone down well will be a bit of an understatement. It's had a million views on YouTube in four days, which is absolutely crazy. Um, and I was saying to Liam early, like I... When you're in it, and the, the the team, you know, Adam, Thomas, Vince, uh, the team that worked on this, will know. You, you almost get too close to it, and at the end, in the last two weeks, I think I must have been watching it like two or three times a day, and you know, looking at edit notes and stuff. And you just you get to a stage where you can't really see it anymore. So to have it come out and for it to have the reaction that it's had, you know, the almost unanimous feedback's been really, really positive on the production quality and the story we've told. Uh, is is a is a nice feeling, also a very uh, big big sense of relief for me. So uh, so yeah, it's been good. Yeah, it was a brilliant video, mate. Maybe one of my favourites, mm. and I liked that it didn't lean as as per usual on B, in B one M manner. It doesn't really lean into like one kind of direction or the other, right? It just lets the viewer decide what they think about HS two. Mm. But that's why they come to the podcast. You know, to get Fred Mill's real opinion on stuff. <laughs> <laughs> like to think I was pretty neutral. I think I was pretty neutral. Uh, now were, this yeah. week, guys, we are uh, delving back into the B1M archives a little bit. So when I say archives, we're going back a couple of months in 2022. Uh, but so we're having a bit of a break week this week in terms of video content coming out. Cause we've just dropped a big 34 minute documentary. We've got another. 30 minute documentary coming out towards the end of the month which is also really really good can't can't tell you too much about it but it's going to be awesome uh so this week we are talking about san francisco's tilting millennium tower we're talking about graphene's construction revolution uh, and how it's coming into affect the industry also in the news we've got 55 bishop's gates been announced a pretty striking new skyscraper for london we've also got funny comment of the week and some of your emails let's go So first of this week, guys, we've got San Francisco's Tilting Millennium Tower. Now, this is a really interesting video we brought out uh, earlier this year on the B1M. We want to kind of do more of a deep dive here on the podcast because it's a really interesting story. Uh, videos had over 2 million views up on YouTube, so go and look at that if you can. Shameless plug, but uh, go, go and have a look. It's a good one. Um, bit of background for you. So Millennium Tower sits on Mission Street and Fremont Street in uh, San Francisco. So... It's a 197 meter skyscraper, mixed use, but mainly residential. 
Um, and as it happens, it sits opposite the Salesforce Tower, which, as some of you may know, is the tallest new building in San Francisco, 326 meters tall. Um, there's a really good video about that on YouTube. I can't can't remember what channel it's on. It's escaped my head right now. But when I watched it, I was like, God, that narrator, that editing, that's really good. Really <laughs> so uh, Google that and go have a look at that. Um, so, so Millennium Tower, 197 meters, opened in 2009. Penthouse sold for $9.8 million. So this is a this is a classy destination. Um, as I said, mainly residential, but the stuff that's at the top there uh, is you know ultra luxury, pretty high end. All a good story so far. Problem was in 2016 it was discovered that the building was sinking and leaning over. Now it's as of uh, earlier this year, it sunk over 45 centimeters causing it to lean 60 centimetres west and 20 centimetres north. Now, I'm going to stress this throughout this podcast. The building is currently safe to inhabit. There's senior engineers have checked it, surveyed it, certified it, and they are saying that it is still safe to inhabit. So if you are currently next to this building, listening to this podcast, if you're in this building, listening to this podcast, there is no need to panic. It ain't going anywhere. Um, but things like this are not good for buildings like this, and engineers are trying to sort it out. So as these liens became more pronounced, there's been some scary signs arrive. Uh, water coming through underground parking garage walls. There's been cracks in the pavement outside. There's, And as you can imagine, the news media have gone absolutely into overdrive around this. There's been all kinds of news coverage about this building. Now, all skyscrapers are designed to actually sink a little bit under their own weight. So they're designed in such a way that when you build them, they will settle into the ground slightly over time. Millennium Tower was supposed to sink about 10 centimetres. As I said earlier, it's gone down to 45, which which ain't good. Um, now, this being America, everyone's tried to sue each other. As soon as this came out, it was like there was rumours of $100 million to fix it everyone's at each other's throats you've got the developer you've got the property owners you've got the engineers you've got the architects you've got the city everyone's like just freaking out about this building um and it's at this point that i bring in uh, a particular character so there is a engineer that's been assigned to come in a different engineer that was the, from the one that designed the building to come in look at this and try and sort it out and see what can be done now previous episodes of this podcast have kind of descended into chats about fast food uh, and kind of got taken off a tangent down towards McDonald's. So it is with great intrepidation that I uh, reveal the name of the engineer to you. Uh, he's called Ron Hamburger. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's almost good as uh, Ron Fillet a Fish, mate, but, you know, we'll forgive him for that. <laughs> That's his brother, I think. <laughs> oh. Uh, now, we should say that Ron Hamburger uh, is a highly respected engineer, qualified engineer, very good at his job, been been doing what he does a long time. Um, now, he's had a look at all this, and basically he reckons, there's there's no, no sort of categoric proof of this, but he reckons that this, this issue might be due to the Salesforce Transit Centre next door. So when they were building that, they dug an 18-metre hole and had to pump out millions of litres of water. Now, this site in San Francisco is is heading down towards the, the waterfronts, so there, there is a high level of groundwater. They pumped out ridiculous amounts of water to build the underground elements of that building, and he believes that that caused soil compaction to occur at a faster rate than it was planned to occur. 
But it's not clear that that's the issue because the Millennium Towers site also had to pump out loads of water to build it. So they could have caused soil compaction issues themselves. As you might guess, that ambiguity is like throwing a barrel of petrol on the litigation fight fire because it gives uh, it gives room for people to have a row and have a chat about stuff. Um, hamburger's idea... <laughs> I'll start with a straight face. Ron Hamburger's <laughs> idea... <laughs> he basically proposed this this story's crazy he proposed 52 more piles under the building extending 76 meters down to the proper bedrock so the current foundations are built on the softer clay material they don't go down to the bedrock his plan was to basically underpin the building underpinning you've probably known if everyone's worked on a house project or you know lived in an older property underpinning is a pretty standard thing it happens around the world all the time it's you know where you basically replace the foundations under an existing building this is a bit of a bigger scale underpinning job this is a skyscraper this is piles so he's putting 52 new piles in and he planned for that to even out the tilt by 50 percent over 10 years and then the remaining 50 percent of the tilt over the next half a century so it's a very slow steady thing we're talking about here but as they were doing that, the building started to sink further. So they stopped all the work in 2021. Uh, and the thinking was that this this additional underpinning they were doing had basically caused more soil movement, uh, which was causing the building to sink, I think, by a further three centimetres. The new plan is for 18 piles, 18 much deeper piles instead. So uh, there, there's fewer things happening in the ground. They're going even deeper than these previous 52 that were being that were planned to be installed. And the plan is that's going to kind of disturb less of the soil. So uh, you, mm. it's going to be less tilt recovery. The lean will be reduced by a by a lesser amount. Um, but hopefully the building will you know recover and, and be continue to be safe current estimates reckon that there's around 500 million dollars now to sort all this out california is one of the most expensive places in the world to build anyway and retrofitting underpinning a skyscraper with new foundations is pretty uh yeah pretty extreme worth saying as i stressed earlier the building is safe to inhabit um it currently leans by about 0.2 degrees as it happens, Big Ben in London, the Elizabeth Tower, leans by 0.26 degrees. No one's freaking out about that. So, uh, yeah, what do you guys, uh, what do you guys make about this? What do you guys make about this video? Have you, have you leaned into the story? Is it I'm tipping you over, mate? Shouldn't they? <laughs> <laughs> should they not have? Honest, honestly, as soon as I've, I watched the video, right, first thing that comes to my head is: should they not have attached it to the bedrock? in the first place is that not just a, a dead set thing you do you know a 200 literally that was what yeah yeah that's what i was gonna say yeah same thing no, yeah i don't i don't know why that i don't know why that is and i can't kind of speculate. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> sorry, asking, like, like you made the decision mate <laughs> no no, no, no it's, it's a really good question it's one that struck me as well and in fact when we were editing the video i looked at that graphic and i was like guys are you are you sure this is correct? Because we're currently showing the existing foundations only going into the soft clay. They should have gone into the bedrock. And mm. the, the video team were like, no, no, th- this is the research. It only went into the, the clay material. It didn't go down to the bedrock. And I'm like, wow, okay. Mm. Um, but what what confuses me, and again, maybe it's um, you know my, my ignorance in the area, but California, particularly 
the Bay Area, San Francisco, it is a um, earthquake zone, isn't it? Mm. You know, there was a horrendous earthquake there. Um, and then they had the gold rush there. So the ground has been moved around and sort of like tinkered with a lot, isn't it? You know, either through nature or through, you know, artificial means. Um yeah, it's, it, I'm, I'm like like what Liam and, and and yourself say. Like, I'm just really surprised. I'm really surprised this just didn't go to bedrock. I would have thought that would be like standard in a place mm. like San Francisco. It might be to do with the the height of the building, the other buildings located around it, the type of foundations they were they were putting in. Yeah, there's an underground basement structure as well. So it, there's like, all factors that might be why it didn't go the whole way down. Um, all buildings in, as you say, Luke, all buildings in California have to meet a certain uh, seismic restrictions that they, they, they don't get signed off not allowed to be built without meeting certain okay. seismic requirements right. so they, it, the building meets all that um but yeah you kind of go why wouldn't you do this beforehand it's pretty it's pretty amazing isn't it that engineers can come in and do this afterwards like because mm. your mm. temptation on, on a lego set would be to just pick it up and lift it up in the air build the foundations put the skyscraper back down again but uh yeah can't, can't do that <laughs> are they so are they doing all this work they've obviously still got residents in there which which i want to talk about in a bit um so what are they just excavating from the from the basement to do all this work like how how does this actually work it's a good question so if you imagine like a standard residential house they basically would dig a it's basically dig a hole down the side of the house and expose the the the, the, the home's foundations um i'm gonna describe this please do not do this on your own if you're listening you need a professional because <laughs> uh, it depends what sort of conditions you're in and the size of hole you dig because you've probably seen from a previous video we did on Leadenhall, uh, the new Leadenhall project in london you need certain types of bracing to prevent soil collapse and stuff so don't go digging holes down the side of your houses chaps um but basically you would dig a trench down the side of your house you expose the foundation and then bit by bit you kind of dig or gun gun out the old foundation and put new bits of foundation in piecemeal you can't take the whole foundation out um because obviously the building would collapse and the extent of what you take out and replace depends on soil types age of the building building material all kinds of stuff it's basically the same thing with a skyscraper so they're kind of going in digging new holes under the foundations and then filling them with concrete to create piles um not easy though and expensive as we've as we've uh, been hearing because didn't they? It's it's funny you bring up um, the Elizabeth Tower or Big Ben earlier. Didn't they do the same thing with that? Didn't they have to redo the foundations for that tower at some point? Or am I yeah. confused? No, you're not. There was some stuff. There was some really interesting stuff. So when they built the Jubilee Line, ex- not the Jubilee Line extension, but there was a new station being built uh, at Westminster. So Westminster Tube mm. Station sits underneath Portcullis House, which is like where the where a number of MPs' offices are. And when they were building that tube line, they put all kinds of laser sensors over Big Ben to make sure, sorry, the Elizabeth Tower, the house is the Big Ben, uh, to make sure that it didn't move or sway or settle in any way. Because obviously knocking over Big Ben is uh, not good. (laughs) It's a no-no. It's a no-no. It's a no-no. Round upon in the UK. (laughs) There there was another thing as well that the video mentioned that... um, some people were claiming that, well, maybe the the project was affected by nearby construction, right, of uh, the Salesforce complex, right? So it's not necessarily the tower, I don't think, like you said, the tallest tower in San Fran at the moment, but there's this structure next to it that looks a bit like a, a crossrail place in 
Docklands, it but on does. steroids, right? It's right. It's really similar. What is that called? Is it like Salesforce Place or something? It's the I Salesforce Transit Center. I introduced it earlier, Luke. Had, had you been listening, uh, you'd have, you'd have you oh. heard that. But um, <laughs> yeah, no, lovely building. It kind of looks like. <laughs> Come on, Luke. <laughs> Come, Come on, on sorry. It Come looks on. like it does look like Crossrail Place. It's got that transit center vibes, as you say, with a, with a California twist. Yeah, yeah. But they were they were blaming it on on that right at one point. Um, but surely you'd have to take into consideration that once again, this is San Francisco. Like you know, they would have known there's other construction projects going up or going to be in the near future. You know, like loads of money's getting pumped into the Bay Area. It's like one of the most expensive places to live and work, but yet, you know, there are still loads of people pouring in there, especially in like tech and yeah. all kinds of industries, right? Yeah. And the interesting nuance is that other buildings built on the same soil in the same area aren't having this problem. So something specifically has gone wrong with the design and construction of this building. Uh, and they're now spending a lot of time and money trying to sort it out. And, and, I mean, talk about pressure. The, I know these guys have probably paid a lot of money. Um, men and women working on this paid a lot of money, but you know the media spotlight is on them constantly. the The litigation is horrendous. It's an extremely high pressure situation. And I, we say at the end of the video, but my takeaway from this is that it's pretty incredible that you don't hear about this on so many buildings around the world because the construction industry does a great job on things like this all around the world. But even when there's an issue like this it can be rectified even though the building's already built and stood there. And I think that the whole building rate weighs like 311,000 tons or something stupid. And they're able to mm. go underneath it and uh, underpin it. Yeah, incredible. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Um, what made me laugh in the video when um, you were talking about everyone pointing the finger at each other, you know, suing each other, you know, the contractors, property developers, it just reminded me of that, you know, that Spider-Man meme. And they're all standing there, Pointing at each other? Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's ridiculous, isn't it? Everyone, everyone just blaming each other. Um, I think um, that, that $100 million retrofit is partially paid by the taxpayers as well as part of a resolution to the litigation. Is it? A pretty interesting solution. Blimey. Yeah. That'll go down yeah, well. Yeah, no, that. That's crazy, isn't it? I, yeah. I wouldn't be happy at that. No way, man. Because well, especially because it's supporting like the people living in there, like an, a, a, an apartment would be super expensive. I don't, I don't tower, think many right? taxpayers want to chip in and help someone that's just bought a $9.8 million penthouse, right? I just can't see too many people being happy about that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm a bit surprised at that. I'm a, I'm a wee bit surprised. What do you think of, because things like this have happened um, elsewhere in other apartment towers, you know, in whether it's in, I think, like India, America, China, wherever, where they've gone, do you know what? There's enough engineering we've done now. We, we've kind of, we've tried everything we can. At what point do you think there are guys at the table saying, right, I think we need to like knock this down and start again? I don't think we're at that stage of this one. I think what's happened is it's it's leaning, it's sink, it's sinking and leaning more than it was expected to, and it's it's kind of kept going, which is why there's this plan to come in and, and rectify it. As I said, there are some buildings that that have tilted a bit, sunk a bit, and you don't notice it because it's tiny, tiny, tiny amounts. And all buildings, even the buildings you're mm. in now, guys, listening to this, all buildings settle a little bit. Um, 
I think that you know that would be fine. You could say that this building's settled, it's done its thing. We're not going to worry about it. The fact that it's continuing to do stuff is why there's this freak out and you know load of work to make it stop happening. Um, should say we're a very long way from it becoming risky. I think it would be. Uh, you know, significant, significantly further amounts of of sinking uh, or movement mm-hmm. or lean before it becomes an issue. Before the elevators and pipe work stop stop functioning. Um, yeah, stressing again. Building still safe. <laughs> but <laughs> if you were a resident, so if you guys were a resident there, right? How many corroded walls, water leakages, cracks in the pavement? How how many faults until you'd be all right? I need to find a new home because that video of the basement, the water seeping through the wall, that's scary. Like that's pretty scary. Hey, like that, that amount of corrosion, you know, yeah. how much damage has that actually caused the wall strength and where else yeah. is affected? Some of these stories exist and circulate in the construction engineering industries. And then some of them become mainstream news to the point where if you Googled these buildings, which I did this morning, you know, you type Millennium Tower into Google, all you see is the issues with it leaning. And for someone trying to sell an apartment or look at their property value, that's not a great advert. Um, Mm -hmm. Interestingly, 432 Park Avenue in New York, there was a big New York Times investigative article that came out about that, about issues with noise and cracks and leaks and all kinds of stuff. And that that is a very widely shared and well-known story now, far beyond architecture and construction industries. but it hasn't really dented the building. Some people know about it. Some people don't. Others, many people still live there. They're still selling apartments. People still take great pictures of it in New York. You know, it's not it's not dented it too much. Um, I, I, it's how much of this sticks over time, I guess. Mm. I remember, it's funny you should mention 432, because I remember my nan mentioning that. You know, I think she read it in a paper. Like, it got that widespread didn't it like it it was pretty much in every paper youtube channels different youtube channels were covering other than the b1m you know it was it was it was uh really public and really popular whereas this i found out through the b1m like i did not find out about it through reading anything from like the bay area or new york times or daily mail daily fail whatever you know like it was uh (laughs) Again, I jest, I jest. But uh, yeah, it's, um, I would still, if you were just Googling like an apartment in this building, surely you would, these these articles would come up. So yeah, it would damage sort of any sort of sales maybe. In fact, I'd imagine, uh, again, uh, I don't know how it works over in California, but it might even be hard to sell an apartment in that tower at this point. Probably right. not helpful that we're doing a whole podcast episode on it either. I mean, <laughs> adding <laughs> adding to the media. <laughs> well, it's still um, super interesting. It's still super interesting, and it's and it's kind of as much as like you said at the moment. This is this is safe, and they've done the tests on it. They've they've kind of done looked at the regulations and gone, okay, this passes that and this and whatnot. It's still really important to like look and talk about these kind of projects. So that future projects that are high rises, that are apartment skyscrapers built in areas like San Francisco or wherever, you know, don't repeat history. That they Absolutely. can learn from this. That's that you know, that's not necessarily a bad thing, you know. And even if like no one intended for this to happen, right? Um, but if there's anything good that can come away from it, it is that hopefully developers or whoever 
can can learn from it, right? Definitely, definitely. Yeah. There has been a there's been a decent amount of coverage on it again, particularly in the sort of construction engineering arenas. And I, I guess it's kind of gone into mainstream press in the in the California news networks and a bit of some of the wider US networks as well a bit. Um, so it's not as it's not as high profile story as four through two Park Avenue. So another publisher had already had the title. Um, the Leaning Tower of San Francisco, which is what we wanted to call our video. Yeah. But some someone else already had it. Un- Genius. Unbelievable. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. Did you guys just on that on that topic of like media coverage and that's interesting you say, Luke, that you found out about this through the B1M. Have you guys heard of the uh, I think it's called the Champlin Champlin Tower in Miami? Yes. The one that collapsed, that collapsed last year. Didn't it? Yeah, allegedly yeah, I remember that. due to corroded steel from the from the pool leaking. Quite a lot of people um, sadly lost their lives there. I had never heard of it. I'd never heard of that. That happened last year in June, which I find quite interesting. I was doing a bit of research just on the Millennium Tower today, and I came across it. It was a, it was a news story in the UK. I remember it being like a high-profile news story in the UK. I think, um, yeah, the president went down and visited the site. I think it, it was really. it was a big deal, yeah. Yeah. Fair. I know you mean. It, it was a big deal briefly. It wasn't like a long-term story. Right. Yeah. It was there for a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What do you mean? Yeah. yeah. That that was another one where, unfortunately, I found out about that through kind of like an online friend who lives in Miami, mm. and they knew like someone who worked in their school that lived in the tower, and uh, yeah, mm. it's it's. But that once again emphasizes how architecture and construction is one of the most important things on the planet. Absolutely. You know, it's so important because everything we do is in a constructed building. It is in something that someone has designed, it is in something that someone has gone in and said, yeah, this is safe, right? Now, we're all imperfect and there's imperfect processes all around the world, right? So there are going to be mistakes. You know, that's inevitable. But again, like sharing this information is just, I, I, I think, is still kind of important because hopefully it kind of stops anything like that from happening again. But it's a, it's a really good point, Luke. I think we don't realise how much our lives are in engineers' hands a lot of the time. You know, I, I, I that's yeah. always particularly struck me when I'm at the top of a skyscraper. I'm like, ah, oh, I really appreciate the uh, the team that's put all this steel and concrete underneath me right now because uh, literally, <laughs> I, you're you're protecting my life right now. You know, and. I think what's you're right. Things do go wrong, but there are, luckily, worldwide now, well-established engineering principles, systems, factors of safety. I think what's remarkable is how few of these episodes actually occur when you consider how many buildings and structures and bridges there are in the world. You know, it's yeah. it underlines again for me the remarkable nature of this industry that so many people on this planet take for granted. Yes. Uh, yeah. It's a testament to the industry and the engineers and everyone working on it, all the team. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's it's incredible. It's incredible. But it still doesn't mean that we can't, you know, sometimes critique and, you know, in the true sense of the word, critique projects and say, look, maybe that should be better. Maybe this should be better. Because in an ideal world, this would never have happened, right? So it's not like this was planned or it's just like a massive marketing scheme or anything. So, yeah. Yeah. 
A couple other little uh, little nuances on this one. Um, this project actually won awards for its structural integrity when it opened in twenty uh, in two thousand nine. Um, so it was lauded and given awards. Uh, the American Concrete Institution Award for Construction, among others. I think the American Society of Civil Engineers might have given it a structural engineering award as well for that region. Um, yeah. I'm not sure if they've still got those or if they're on a mantelpiece or sliding off a t- mantelpiece, sl- sliding off a mantelpiece <laughs> in a tilting building. Uh, <laughs> uh, but there you go. Also, the uh, if you are near, <laughs> if you are near this building right now, looking up, thinking, "Goodness me, what a, what a structure!" I can't believe the uh, B1M's podcast is talking about it. And you've got you've got that hungry feeling from all this talk about Ron Hamburger, the nearest <laughs> McDonald's. <laughs> to Millennium Tower <laughs> is on 609 Market Street. About a five-minute walk, guys. About a five-minute walk. Opens at 5.30am, Google tells me. <laughs> Closes at 2am. That's not 24-hour. <laughs> it's oh, not 20, mate. Well, wait, it might as well as be. So op- some days it opens at 5am and closes at 3.45am. Oh, Must wow. Just be that. It's yeah. a couple of hours where they actually clean the kitchen and uh, remake the fillet of fishes, I guess. Oh, hey, have you been to San Francisco? Have. Oh mate, hilly. I it is hilly. It is hilly. That is that is one of my favourite cities I've been to. I Me love too. San Francisco, and it's like this weird. I think I may have even mentioned this on a previous show, um, or I've said it to you guys. But I went to San Francisco first time. I think it was uh, 2014, and uh, you know, in it, especially as a British person, as a European, as someone who'd never been to somewhere like New York. And you watch all these shows and films about New York and Manhattan. Like you have in your head this kind of preconceived idea of New York and Manhattan, right? I went to San Francisco and it felt a lot like that. It felt a lot like the buildings were kind of like from what you'd see on TV and what I was like, man, this is awesome. So, and then I went a few years later to New York. And it's weird to me that San Francisco in places felt more like New York as a foreigner right, than New York did. Yeah. A really, really weird kind of experience. And, and a, I still kind of stand by that. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's San Francisco is a very picturesque city. I mean, there, there are good bits and bad bits, we should say, but uh, it's a very picturesque city. And it's been in so many movies that when you're there, I know what you mean, Luke, that you, when you're there, there's almost this feeling of, oh my goodness, we're in a movie right now. I remember going around yeah, just yeah. looking at the, you know, the Mrs. Doubtfire house and uh, other places like that, going out to Alcatraz Island, um, the Golden Gate Bridge. Mm. It's it's an incredible place. Um, now, next week's podcast, guys, is coming to you live from San Diego, which is very exciting. The reason I bring that up is uh, because Liam said to me yesterday, yeah, but looking at the weather in uh, San Francisco, it looks a bit foggy. I was like, well, that's, that's great, Liam, but we're going to San Diego. So, <laughs> foggy. You were saying to me, I have looked at the weather in San Francisco. It looks uh, looks a bit, you know, X, Y, Z. And I'm like, we're going that's... to San Diego, mate. No, mate. I said it's nice and hot. Late you, 20s. You said, you, you said San Fran. Oh, we're going to San Diego. Same, same state. Yeah, same state. Yeah, I'll mix that up. Um, no, mate, not foggy. It's nice and hot. It's like 27 degrees each day. But that ain't not, mate. London's been uh, ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> What's yeah, this yeah, yeah, Liam's already thinking about the uh, Liam's already thinking about the what are they called? The schooners or something? <laughs> what are they called? They're in, they're in Australia, mate. They are only Australian. Schooners. Yeah, but you can go over there and like bring it. You can bring it to San Diego, you know? You can make it the new thing. You reckon? 
Yeah, yeah make a schooner bar and all the hipsters will go there. They'll love it. They'll be like, yeah, oh, have yeah. you heard of this place? There's this guy called Liam who runs it. He's really buff and he looks he looks a bit like a more handsome Lobot from Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know. I, I, I don't know what a Lobot is, mate. <laughs> So, also this week, guys, over on tomorrow's build, we have got Graphene's Construction Revolution has finally begun. So, this is a really cool video brought out uh, earlier this year on tomorrow's build, all about a new wonder material. Anyone heard of Graphene? I have. Before now? Yep. I watched the video back a couple of months ago. (laughs) 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 Yeah, I've heard of it. I've heard of it, but... Yeah, that's about it. So, it's this kind of like wonder material that was discovered back in 2004. Now, it's kind of like graphite that you find in pencils, um, but but a bit but a bit different. So, basically, graphene is carbon atoms that are bonded together in hexagonal lattices, a bit like a honeycomb. In graphite in pencils, it's kind of that that's that material is made of multiple layers of those lattices. Graphene is basically graphite stripped down to just one atomic layer. So just one of those layers of hexagonal lattices of carbon atoms bonded together. So the material is two-dimensional. It's it's incredible stuff. 200 times stronger than steel by weight, incredibly flexible, lighter than paper, and the most conductive material of electricity and heat ever discovered so this is like this is a big deal it was a big deal when it came out nearly nearly 20 years ago now um mm-hmm. when it was first discovered the problem was that innovators couldn't really make it in bulk so they found it but they didn't really know what to do with it or how to apply it that's all changed now so it can now be produced at scale and there are several firms making it and this kind of center of excellence for graphene kind of globally is at Manchester University in the UK, the University of Manchester. They've got the Graphene Engineering and Innovation Center, which is snappily shortened down to the GEIC, which sounds very exciting and very kind of James Bond. Uh, so Dr. Lisa Scullion is one of the experts there. She's actually in this video. She gives a great interview as part of this video. But what they've done is uh, explore ways of introducing graphene to the construction industry so they've done this project with uh, nationwide engineering uh, they've teamed up to lay a graphene enhanced concrete slab uh, for a new gym near stonehenge um, so those those weights that liam drops on the floor can you know the floor is even stronger <laughs> now they can resist <laughs> resist the massive <laughs> weights that he's picking up um, so pretty incredible stuff they've, they've taken a standard concrete mix standard um sorry concrete has huge amount of regulation and control around it in terms of uh, the, the quality it has to reach in, in construction projects so this is quite a this is quite a conservative area of the industry to try and tweak and change but they've added tiny amounts of graphene into a standard concrete mix uh, and found in hugely increased levels of strength um, through through doing this so they've tried it out on a couple of projects now there's a couple other projects being trialed around the world as well um, notably, there is 3D printed graphene enhanced concrete being used on the HS2 project. So, on those main retaining mm. walls that are going to run out of London Euston, uh, there is super strong graphene enhanced concrete being used. Being used there. Nice link to last week's video. Go and watch it. 
shameless plug. Oh. <laughs> mm. um, yeah, what do you guys? What do you guys make all this? Pretty cool, right? I think it's pretty amazing, mate. The fact that it's um, the most um, conductive material of electricity and heat ever discussed, uh, dis- discussed, discovered is uh, <laughs> it's pretty mind blowing. Like it's it's something I don't know. I feel like it's watching a James Bond movie or something like that. My my main takeaway from it is obviously it's it's you know a really good development and things uh, things like that. But what Lisa was talking about around regulations and it's been a slow process and and like you're saying it's quite conservative. Shouldn't this be the opposite for the industry? Shouldn't they try and speed up this process when you look at like cement and its contribution to global emissions and things like that? Um, you know, what does it contribute? Like eight percent of global emissions. So if this can help that, you know, help uh, help lower emissions and things like that, help strengthen concrete, it's better for everyone. Shouldn't they be looking to speed these new innovations, new materials up? Definitely. And this is kind of the, one of the age-old problems with the industry is we we discovered, you know, if you go right back thousands of years, we've discovered uh we used to build with timber quite a lot. Mm-hmm. We discovered concrete and steel and that kind of pushed timber out you know, largely down to just kind of residential levels and now even just trying to get mass timber you know engineered mass timber into mainstream building construction into building skyscrapers or schools or hospitals is a real battle because of a very kind of conservative view in the industry that we should only really be you know be building with concrete and steel because they're the best materials we've tested them over hundreds and thousands of years we know what they are um so it's the industry takes a long time to change. So it doesn't surprise me that this is being questioned and considered. And it kind of goes back to our earlier conversation. You know, there is there are so many controls and restrictions and insurance rules around who designs concrete, what's in it, and what standard it meets. That for people to take a risk is is quite a big deal. You know, Lisa says in the video that for nationwide engineering to take the risk on this gymnast Stonehenge in the UK is is a big step. It's good progress for the industry. Mm. Like the exciting thing for me is it opens up this whole new world, this whole new level of engineering. You know, if it's 200 times stronger than steel by weight, mm. what does that mean for the bridges we can build, the skyscrapers we can build, mm. the things Elon Musk might dream up and decide to build? You know, it's, uh-uh. <laughs> it's, it's incredible stuff. What's the what's the weight then? Just just with that, you're saying it's 200 times stronger than steel, so it must be extremely light as well, right? Lighter than paper. Wow, ridiculous. Yeah, that's like, just hard to get your mind around, isn't it? It's really difficult to get your mind. It or it's one of those things that seems like it's too good to be true, you know. But <laughs> like with like with like plastic bottles, do you, do you ever hear that story of like when kids first? Um, saw plastic bottles and they sort of like dropped to the ground and it didn't break. They were like, what? What is this? You know, it seems kind of like that. But I think with things like this, I'd rather them take their time to know that this is safe, that it's good for the environment, but good for us as well. You know, we don't yeah. want another like asbestos to 2.0, right? Like where we were putting it on all these buildings and then like down the line, it's like, oh no, it's not good for people, right? Yeah, there's. A, I mean, there's been a lot of advances now, so that things like that hopefully can't happen again. And there is a lot of testing and controls going on around this, as you say, Luke, before it becomes too widespread. Um, right. But yeah, you're right. You you don't want to be at the top of a 100 story skyscraper and someone turns to you and says, "Oh, do you like this? Yeah, this is the first building ever built with graphene." You go, 
great. Where's the lift? <laughs> Where's the exit? <laughs> because the 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 kind of the limit for this stuff is kind of sky high, isn't it? Right? You can literally build skyscrapers to building help building like chips for like devices and electronics, right? Like this stuff can be used in so much and it can make it a lot more affordable. Is that right in theory? In theory, yeah. I mean, I think there is yeah. a there's a bit of inertia with this and there's there's a few people who are quite skeptical because it's been kicked around for a long time and people people said, "Oh, graphene's going to change the world, it's going to change construction for a long time." But now it seems like the reason we made a video on it is because there is real concrete progress being made pardon the pun no um and what they're doing at the gic in manchester and now on trial projects is properly groundbreaking it's not hype it's not fake stuff it's it's real examples real case studies real evidence so it's getting yeah it's getting properly exciting well let us know what you think about this guys uh we want to hear your thoughts on graphene what could we do with it what could you build with it what would you like to build with it or in your dreams what could you build with a bit of graphene let us know at uh, podcast at the b1m.com that is podcast at the b1m.com So, also in the news this week, guys, plans for a 285-metre new skyscraper unveiled in London called 55 Bishop's Gate. Now, adding any new skyscraper to London is always a bit controversial, as you've probably seen from the news in recent years. Uh, This one would rise 60 storeys above the city, nestling next to other some of your other favourite London buildings like Tower 42, Leadenhall by Richard Rogers, 30 St Mary Axe, aka the Gherkin, and the massive... 22 Bishop's Gate, which is currently the world's, sorry, currently the UK's second tallest skyscraper. Um, pretty striking design, lovely renders, designed by uh, Arnery Fender Katsalidis. Project would add 74,000 square meters of more office space to London. Not sure we need that right now, but uh, yeah, what did you, what do you guys make of this? Nice looking, isn't it? It's very slick. It's my first thought, slick. Yeah, it's gorgeous. I really like it. And especially because I think London really lent into kind of the more odd skyscraper shapes and design and it almost become it it became part of like the city of London anyway, the square mile like vernacular. Mm. Right? Like, oh what shape is that? What nickname are we gonna give that? And I think in the last few years, we're starting to lean away from that. Like you said, with 22 Bishop's Gate, you've got, I think, the Heron near the Heron Tower. Um, there's another tower on Bishop's Gate as well that's just a, you know, I say just a block. It's a really nice looking building, actually. But 100 Bishop's Gate, I think it's called. Yeah. So you've got these kind of more blocky towers around there that look a wee bit more generic. I think like in in some of them could be in any city around the world whereas I think this tower I like it there there's something about it that shouts yeah I'm a London skyscraper you know yeah. and wedged in with all of the other weird shapes mm. you know there is like a huge blob yeah but it's our blob right it's <laughs> like yeah this is unique it's not <laughs> Manhattan, it's not Shanghai, it's not Dubai, it's London. It's this huge heap of weird shapes, and it kind of works, I think. I think think it does. And if anything, I think this will balance out the square mile skyline pretty well. Go on, mate, sorry. 
I was just going to say, do you guys think um, get like a nature vibe from it? Like leaves kind of like shell kind of appearance? Yes. Do you get that? Yeah, I do. Definitely. Yeah. A Fibonacci sequence apparently was the inspiration for the design. The lattice patterns is very nice. I have to say, I really appreciate the way the the planners have kind of focused on this cluster in the city of London. Um, it keeps the buildings together. It builds the, the massing's very well proportioned, very well planned. Um, it, not so great if you're in those office buildings. You know, if you've got a lovely view from your desk on the seventy second floor somewhere, you, you're probably going to find just staring across at other bankers or other other kind of uh, people working in the city in years to come because the street level is getting well. There's a lot of buildings in very close together now, so the street level is getting quite dark and shaded and we actually did a video a couple of years ago on the uh wind movement through the city of london and some of the some of the modeling they've done on that so yeah it's it's good from an urban planning perspective it's not so great if you're in those buildings but then they are office buildings not residential buildings Mm. do we need office buildings discuss (laughs) <laughs> yeah exactly that that the microclimate thing is definitely true i used to cycle down there to to the office and you get such a strong headwind on that and it's freezing in winter because it just whips all the way down from the thames straight at you um before we go into the office the the, the office chat what about the gherkin i feel so bad for the gherkin it's just like getting surrounded right yeah yeah you can only really see the gherkin from East London, yeah, and like parts of North London, like from West and South, it's pre at this point, it's pretty much covered up, yeah. or it will be. Like even from uh, like Tower Bridge or like that part of the South Bank, you've now got the uh, Gotham mm. City building, the new Leadenhall building mm. that's yeah. right there, and that's now covering it. Up. I what- think they've called it Stanza now; they've renamed it Stanza. Yeah. But anyway, in, go on. in what may be the most uh, macho comment I've ever made on this podcast, oh. uh, there's a bit in Love Actually where they are sitting <laughs> on on the benches. It's my, one of my favourite films. Great, it great is. British movie. There's a bit where they're sitting on a bench. I think it's Liam Neeson and his son are sitting on a bench uh, on the south of the river, looking over south of the river, looking over at London. And there's <laughs> there's St Paul's Cathedral and Tower Forty Two, and that's it. Yeah, and you go. I actually yeah. sat bolt upright off the sofa going, whoa, that is, that's changed so much in the last mm. 20 years. It's crazy. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's, and, and this is a European city and this is the center of a European city. This isn't even like somewhere like Docklands. You understand that a wee bit more because you've got this like huge space that was derelict and wasn't used for anything good. They decided to build the world's best train line there the dlr and they went well right okay let's build some skyscrapers here they're building in between kind of well they built on bomb sites you know they've built in between prehistoric buildings you've got old like norman and uh, churches there you've got the tower of london just around the corner it's incredible that they're able able to fit these shapes in into these these little small spaces but because of that and because of the sight lines that's why you get these weird shapes that's why you get these kind of eccentric towers yeah and um i think it i think it works and i've always been i'm a skyscraper enthusiast right so i'm on specifically i'm on a forum called skyscrapercity.com it's it's an architecture and construction forum love it 
mate, it's it's one of my. I've been on there. I think it's nearly my ten year anniversary on there. I kid you not. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think that's like early next year. But um, yeah, just just when this tower was announced, because there's been a lot of skyscrapers built in London in the last few years, and um, kind of the hype and the excitement around skyscrapers has definitely died down as it's got more normal. Right. This is exciting. And I noticed when someone created a thread for this and it was announced, a lot of people got excited about this. I think that's because of the the design. And I think that could be reflective of how a lot of people feel about it. Yeah, I mean, let's see. It's got, with any London skyscraper, there is a bit of a gauntlet for it to run in terms of approvals, the mayor's sign-off, all this kind of stuff. Um, it's pretty bulky. It's pretty pretty hefty addition to the city of London, particularly when you see that render of it next to Tower 42 and the Gherkin. But it's also pretty elegant. And I think mm. there's, as people have been saying in the comments, there's definitely echoes of 270 Park Avenue in New York, which is the new JP Morgan Chase Tower. So it's got this kind of fluted base. So the base kind of extends and widens out from street level up to maybe the third or fourth floor. And then the tower starts to rise above that. Um, mm. Similar lattice mm-hmm. structure on it as well. So... Yeah, similar building, similar vibe. I, I love that JP Morgan Chase Tower. It's now currently being built. It's currently rising. There's some great photos being shared by a guy called Michael Young, one of my favorite photographers in New York. Does a lot of stuff for New York Yimby. Um, yeah, go and check him out on Instagram. It's really cool pictures of that building rising. And yeah, if we if we can do that in London, following the same sort of design that's come out this week for 55 Bishop's Gate, then I'll be a happy man. Fred Mills approves. <laughs> yeah. And and actually, I'm I'm someone who thinks that, um, you know, we, you you mentioned offices earlier, and this is a long conversation, right? But I actually do think people and companies do kind of want to go back to the offices, right? They do want to have their office space as opposed to working where their life happens, their everyday life happens. But then it's kind of balancing the work-life balance. You know, people want to be able to work from home as well as going to an office. You know, I think there are just some things you can't you can't do through a a Zoom call, you know, or Teams call. Yeah, I think without I going know. down this uh, enormous cul-de-sac that is the future yeah. office. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the I, I think rather like you know, retail has gone to become more experience. It's more like destination retail. It's more about the experiential side of it, the experience. Good People aren't point. going to be in offices nine to five, Monday to Friday. It's about the experience mm. of a working environment for a meeting or a couple of days a week. And you've got to give people a reason to go to the office. And things like, oh, low energy lighting and a coffee point are not enough anymore. We want ball pits, we want slides, we <laughs> want well being, we want trees. Come on. <laughs> a masseuse. <laughs> all of the above let us know what you think of this uh, building guys and what you would like in your dream office uh, podcast at the b1m.com time for my weekly plug this is the kind of project you might want to enter for construction story of the year there's just one week to go on entries guys get them in by the 26th of august it is free to enter we are using the weight and reach of the b1m to shine a light on some of this industry's most fantastic projects tell your boss tell your mates get your project in don't leave it to the last minute Crack on. Now, it's that time. We are going over to Funny Comment of the Week with Mr. Liam Marsh. What have you got for us, mate? All right. So this one is touching on the, the Millennium Tower. 
Okay, so this is uh, this is from Mike K, and this is touching on the um, the fact that the tower was awarded, uh, got an award from the construction concrete institution and the um, engineering award as well. So it's from Mike K. Just remember one thing: product of the year awards were also given to Asbestos back in the seventies. <laughs> wow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's crazy, isn't it? I've got another one. This is on um, the graphene video. So this is from Super Rocker Billy. The concrete industry moves slowly. Well, it's kind of set in stone. <laughs> Quite a dad joke, isn't it? Uh, it's oh. kind of joke, guy, mate. Yeah, it's a solid video. That one, solid video. I like that. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> I did one of our videos. I think it's when we. Uh, I think it might be the Elon Musk. Uh, Las Vegas loop video we did on tomorrow's build where we say that the the tunnel was supposed to open for the the big sort of tech conference that happens in Vegas each year but it missed it because it was late or something so it was now going to open for the world of concrete Cor- conference which uh, this year has a solid agenda <laughs> one of my favorite little jokes only me laughing at it but I'm sure we've got a few smiles on YouTube it's all that counts <laughs> maybe maybe super rocker billy um or mike k can submit something for construction story of the year fred wouldn't that be oh, good mate luke i love you mate i love little little links and little spins like that is what we need more of on this podcast just yeah yeah every opportunity you can to promote construction story of the year sponsored by Nemeshek. Yeah. <laughs> go for it <laughs> Uh, now, next week, guys, as we've alluded to already, Liam and I are going to be coming to you live from San Diego. We're going to have a special guest with us. Uh, Luke is not coming to us from San Diego. He's coming to us from Basildon, but we had to kind of balance out. <laughs> had to balance out the exoticness. We can't all be in San Diego. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll, get you, we'll get you a nice international trip, Luke, soon. Once this, once this podcast takes off and we're, you know, doing it live from Times Square, you'll be there. Yeah, live, yeah, live from Slough. Or somewhere exotic <laughs> like that. Times Square is actually a shopping centre in Sutton in South London, so we could do it from there. No. All right, mate, let's do it. I'd love that. I'd love that. <laughs> As always, guys, uh, get your emails coming in. We want to know what you thought about this episode. Uh, what do you think of Millennium Tower in San Francisco? What do you think of the engineer's name? Does it make you hungry for a burger? Uh, 55 Bishops Gate, let us know your thoughts. Let us know your thoughts on graphene. Uh, we've had some lovely, lovely emails coming in. We're, we're kind of building up a bit of a backlog. We're going to pick the best ones and read them out to you. Uh, our first guests on this podcast next week. Let's try not to scare them off. Um, but yeah, see see how we go. Anything else you guys want to add at the end? Any last little nuggets, McNuggets of, uh, of fun? Well, you've already mentioned the McNuggets. I was going to ask if like the cousins to, to our guy has any nugget-related family or... No. Uh, Rick and Ron Hamburger's got other fan members called, like, I don't know, Michael McNuggets. Uh, <laughs> Michael McNuggets. <laughs> that can be our mascot. That can be our mascot. <laughs> uh, build 55 Bishop's Gate, please. Let's get it done. Come yeah, on. The poor bloke. He's a, as I stressed earlier, I should say again, he's a respected engineer. He's, he's got an illustrious career. He's now doing a fantastic job, and we're mocking his name. So, sorry, mate. On that note, I'm off from Mackie D's because... Uh, Maybe I'll maybe pretty hungry. Mm-hmm.